podcast where today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Alex Gonzalez. A quick reminder for those that love this podcast, please take 30 seconds and leave a five-star review on Apple or Spotify and subscribe to the YouTube channel. This helps the show get discovered organically and helps me continually bring on amazing guests. There are also now timestamps in the show notes, so feel free to jump around to the section that interests you most, although I recommend listening to the episode in its entirety. Alex Gonzalez is a Cuban-American scientist and cancer survivor located in North County, San Diego. He was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma at 11 years old, battled cancer for approximately two years, and ultimately beat it. Alex recently completed his master's degree in biological sciences from California State University, San Marcos, where he performed research on alopecia areata, a disease he is currently afflicted by. Alex is a white belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at Gracie Humaida in Carlsbad, California, but a black belt in inspiration. I personally look up to Alex, his persistence, and his appreciation for how special life truly is. Without further ado, Alex Gonzalez. Alex, you're officially the first recent recipient of a master's degree on the show. So it feels probably, I'm sure, excellent to have that behind you, having put all the effort and the studying. And I'm, I'm excited to unpack your whole story here. But thank you for taking the time to be here, man. No, absolutely. Thank you, Abe. I'm looking forward to our chat today, and I'm excited. Yeah, man. We it, There's so much to cover here. Um, most people will know by now that we know each other from jujitsu, from striking, and it's a really, it's a really cool place where you, you can build different types of relationships. And it's always interesting to me what people stick out or not. And I've been actually really, I've been purposefully not asking you about your life at training because I want to ask you all about it here because there's so many questions I have. Um, so I guess we'll start kind of, if you can bring us back to the beginning, take us back to 11 years old yeah. and what it is like as a adolescent to receive a diagnosis for cancer yeah man absolutely it was a little bit crazy i'm, I'm actually going to go back a little bit before 11. Uh, we'll go to around like yeah. nine or ten so the way that it started was uh, i had this like golf ball sized lump on the side of my neck and you know when people get sick sometimes their lymph nodes swell up so when i would go to the doctor they'd be like oh he's just sick um he'll be fine uh, just give it a couple weeks and it'll go away. So that, that kind of cycle kept on going for a long time of where they were like, oh, he's just sick, it'll go away. And then one day I go to my pediatrician, our family doctor, and you know she sees the lump and she's like, wait, how long has this been there? Um, and I'm like, well, now like over a year. And my pediatrician is like, huh, that's strange. And she's like, it doesn't hurt or anything. And I'm like, no, it like, feels fine. I can touch it right now. Um, and you can only see it when I would like turn my head to the right, there would just be like a giant sized golf ball. But when I would look straight, couldn't even see anything. So it's kind of hard to, um, to catch in the beginning. And, you know, she sends me home that day and the next day she calls my mom and she's like, you know what? Like, let's just be safe. She's like, let's go send it over for a biopsy. And, you know, a couple weeks later we have this biopsy done on me and I'm like, you know, it's fine. It's like, I don't know. It's like a lump, you know, I'm a kid. What do I know? Like, you know, there's a lump right, in yeah, my you neck. Don't care. Cool. You don't care. Yeah. Yeah. So then about a week after that, um, that doctor calls my mom and goes, Hey, like, you know, we should, you should come in and talk about the results. And so we drive over there and you know, the moment I get there, I could cut it, it like felt a little bit eerie, honestly. Like I, it was different, my different experience from like going into a doctor's office and you know, like I'm just. But you didn't like at the, 
at the time you didn't know you're just kind of picking up the vibe from like your mom and the doctor yeah i'm picking up the vibe from the doctor mostly and then the doctor asked my mom to leave the room and i'm like huh that's kind of weird and you know they're gone for like half an hour and i'm just sitting there like man what happened like what could have gone wrong and then they come in and i see my mom's been crying like her eyes are red puffy and she's like crying with the doctor i could tell the doctor's consoling her and you know i'm asking like what's going on what's going on and my mom won't tell me and i'm like this is so weird and so then we get in the car she calls all my family she's like hey you guys have to meet us at home like this is serious blah blah blah. and i'm like mom what's going on won't tell me um i get back home all of my family's there my pediatrician's there like some of our family friends are there and i'm like man what is going on like um and you know, I get there and I'm saying hi to everyone. And my dad's like, Hey, we have to go to the room and we have to like have a serious conversation. And I go into the room and my dad is like, you know, first time I've seen him crying ever in my life. And he's like, Hey, like, I need to let you know, like you have cancer, like you have Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, they're like, it's pretty serious. Um, you could lose your life. Um, you know, he's just trying to have a regular conversation with me and me and him are talking it out back and forth and then you know finally i'm like you know can i just have a few moments to like let everything process and then my dad leaves the room i'm in there and you know i think it was in that moment where i realized like i have to be the strength for everyone like if if they see me damn yeah no yeah like at a very young age it was kind of like you know if they see me crying or if they see me distraught by this um like like you know they're not gonna have any hope but if I'm like happy, like how I always am, maybe, like I'm always happy, smiling. Like if I'm like that, then you know, they, right, exactly, right. They'll always have some, some like hope towards this. So I go back out, and it was my brother always makes fun of me of this. I made like this little speech where it's like I'm gonna beat this guys. Like don't worry, we got this together. Whole family's crying. Like yeah, so that that's how I ended up getting diagnosed. And yeah, from there you have your. I, I went to my first chemo, and you know. Throughout that entire time, I've kind of had the mentality of like, I'm going to beat this. Like, you know, maybe it was like this false sense of confidence, but I was like young, naive. And I was like, I'm going to beat this. Like, I'm young. I can get through this. Um, but then I hit that first chemo and, you know, they, they don't tell you this really for like to people on the outside, but like they give you like a six course meal. Like I was like, this is great. Like I'm getting the six course meal, like soup, salad, sandwich and everything. And they sit there. And the reason they do that is because they want you to have like a full stomach for when the chemo first hits you. Um, and, you know, everything was going fine until about 30 minutes in. Like once they, they had like put it in and then I'm going 30 minutes in and man, you just feel terrible. It's like a whole, I can't even explain it to people. I, I tell people it's like having your veins on fire and feeling extremely fatigued in like a matter of like five minutes. Like, and I just... Yeah, and I just reacted so violently, like I was throwing up, I couldn't control my bowels, I had to run to the bathroom like 12 times because I just couldn't control what was going on with my body. And, you know, that kept happening back and forth. My mom is there, like helping me because my parent, my dad's at work, you know, you can't stop working. Um, But my mom's in there, like just helping me out. The nurse is like trying to assist me and everything. And and after that first time, that was really when I started questioning, like, yo, am I going to make this? Like, is this going to be doable every time? It's crazy when you, I mean, even just thinking about this, right? Like how many times in a movie do you see someone go through chemotherapy or or perhaps, you know, someone in your immediate family or extended family who's done it. And even me hearing what you're talking about until five seconds ago, I've actually never considered what the 
treatment would be like on the yeah. body. I guess I always just kind of thought that it's like an internal thing, like the, the chemotherapy is going in and it's fighting the cancer on like a cellular level, but that that's not really a physical sensation. And then over time, the cancer just kind of goes out of the body. And yeah, you get tired and you get fatigued because you're low energy. But yeah, you're fighting. Maybe you can talk a little bit about like what is chemotherapy doing to your body while you're going through that process? Yeah, absolutely. So like, I guess on a scientific level, you know, there's, there's different types of chemos, but specifically the chemo that they had when I was undergoing cancer would, it would kill all your cells, right? So it's not like yeah. it's going in there and specifically targeting, you know, just the cancer cells, it's killing all the cells, like it's trying to get the job done by just killing everything. And essentially, the way that my doctor explained it to me at the time was like, I'm giving you poison, but this is like, it's either you die or you get the poison and you kind of feel better. Right. So when it went like almost every time I would get cancer or every time I would get chemo, they sit you down on a bed. You're there. I was there for about like three to four hours. They kind of monitor that there's no like severe reactions to the chemo. Um, yeah. But after about 20 minutes, you feel terrible. Like it's like the worst fatigue of your life. You can feel it like making you nauseous and sick the whole time. And, and, and I wish it was only that day, but it lasts like the entire weekend. So there was a reason we would do it on Fridays was because I refused to not go to school. They, they said no to sports, which I was already mad about, but I refused to not go to school. I put yeah. me in coach. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I refused to not go to school. I wanted to keep having that part. So we would do it on Fridays and then you would feel, I would feel sick Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then finally Monday, I could have my first taste of food because any food that you take, it's immediately vomited back up. Like you can't hold down any food. All I could drink was water and Gatorade the entire weekend. So it, it's, I just feel so ignorant to cancer therapy no, 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 treatment right now, but yeah. So it, as you're going through this, it, I mean, it's essentially bringing you closer to death on purpose. Yeah. Right. Purpose. Yeah. To get this out of your body so that yeah. then your body can repair and you can get back to like homeostasis. Exactly. But we're talking like every cellular function in the body is then impacted by this therapy. And yeah. is that, so is that the only option? Are they like, Hey, you know what? You're young, you're a good candidate for this. It's going to be really intense in the body, but because of your age, you're going to bounce back quick. Or do they go, maybe we try some more homeopathic like approaches to this or yeah. what's kind of that that initial approach to the different options or, or do you just get one option and it's like, we got to roll with this? No, yeah, absolutely. So I think it's different regarding each patient. Like it's specific to each patient, but my doctor, Dr. Paul Gain, and I have to shout him out at CHLA. He was so straight up with me for, yeah, sir. Yeah. From the very beginning, um, he was like, you know, there's, there's all these options and it's actually different eh? because when you're a kid, they're actually worried that it can affect a lot of things throughout your life. So they're like super, super attentive to how the treatment that they're going to do is going to affect the child. Right. Cause you don't know, it could, it could do anything. Like thankfully so far I've been lucky to not have anything, but you know, they're really attentive of how that works. So when he first laid it out, he was like, you know, of course my parents, same thing as you, they're like, can we do holistic? You know, what can he eat? What can he do? And he's like, listen, He's like, I go based off the facts and the facts are that chemotherapy, like uh, this, this many rounds of chemotherapy and this many rounds of radiation is most likely going to cure your son. He's like, I'm not saying don't do homeopathic stuff. And my parents did like, you know, I, I think there's kids that were going through treatment and eating like McDonald's and stuff. And my parents right. never let me do that. It was just 
strictly fruits, lean meats, veggies, 24-7, like when I was going through chemotherapy. You know, it's, it's like you're preparing your body to like work out, right? Or like right. the most totally. extreme workout of your life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, he was straight up. And my parents loved him because the first day he hand calculated how much chemo I would need on like a piece of paper. Like he's so Damn. old school, like he hand calculated yeah. it out. And he's like, this is how many sessions I want to give him. This is the time frame. And since that day, we all like we put our trust in him and we just knew that he was the right way to go. So you can do other options, but I love that Dr. Gannon was like, this is the one that's going to save your life. So I guess you are trying to manage expectations, too. And like if you want people to have full buy in, you give too many choices at the candy store and you don't know what to pick. Right. Exactly. Say, hey, this is kind of the one the one thing, the best evidence treat your body well while you go through it. But exactly. if you want to live, <laughs> yeah. this is your shot, right? So it's like, <laughs> okay, cool. I guess we'll go with that. Oh, take me, take me into the mind of an 11 year old that's sitting through chemotherapy and like, what are you thinking about? What it, you're not like, you're not old enough to be like thinking about your mortality or like your existence in the universe. Right. So yeah. what, what kind of things are going through your head? Yeah. So I think again, like I was foolishly confident. I kind of always had the expectation that I was going to get through it, but just going through the chemotherapy, there were so many questions of like, why? Like my parents always told me, like, I would sit there and be like, why, like, why me? Why am I going through this? Like, why do I have to go through this chemo? And they're like, we don't know. And then it's, it's even weirder when it's like Hodgkin's lymphoma and they don't have like a concrete answer to give you, right? Like uh, a smoker gets lung cancer and you know why they got lung cancer. They were smoking. But with me, the, you know, the doctor's looking at me like, I don't know why you got it. Like, you know, it just happens. We haven't figured it out yet. And so then I would always ask them, like, why? Like, why is this going on? And, you know, you would think that I don't think about those things, but I'd always think about it like, like back then I would be like, man, I just want to get through eighth grade. You know, if I just make it to eighth grade, if I just make it to high school, then I'll have like a happy life. Um, so it's, it's wild to think about those things. And then Another part of it is like, they don't talk about how much trauma is in the family. Like your family's watching you go through this. Yeah. Right. And, and I always felt like I had to hide it because it's like, I can't show them that I'm undergoing pain or they're going to take it like, oh no, like he's not going to make it or something like that. So I was just always trying to hide it. And I would like go off by myself. Like I would tell my mom, like, mom, I'm going to like lock myself basically in my room the whole rest of the day. Like if I need you, I'll let you know, but like, I'll be in there. Um, you know, like I didn't really want them to see it and I wanted them to know, like, you know, I'm going to get through this. So that was kind of always on my mind. That's really interesting that you had that uh, approach. I mean, yeah. 11 is so young. Well, even before that, you said that's yeah. so young to have like, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to think back to like, what am I doing when I'm, <laughs> we had, we had like moved to Colorado. I was trying to think of what I was doing at 11 or just where your head's at, but to, yeah. to adopt that like I'm going to do this attitude versus yeah. the fear, like you super, or, or even yeah. like you said, to think about your yeah. family and go like, I kind of got to hold it together for these people because if I'm not yeah. like the rock, then they're going to get down. And then who knows, maybe that has an effect on you too. That like you see exactly. your family struggling. And so it makes it harder where like you kind of need all hands on deck to like battle this thing. Exactly. Was there anything in your life that you can think of leading up to that? might've conditioned you to have that type of mindset. Cause I wouldn't imagine you're like reading, you're not like 11 year old reading David Goggins book about, you know, running 5 million miles. Exactly, <laughs> like, yeah. like what, what um, does that? 
You know, honestly, I, I want to take it back to, I feel like, you know, I don't think there was one event, but I think just how we're raised. Like, you know, my parents, I don't know if you know this, but both of them are from Cuba. Um, my dad came on a raft, literally eight days in the ocean with his brother. My mom escaped on a flight to Panama, then went all the way up through Mexico and go up. And, you know, they've, they've always, growing up, they told me and my brother, like, you know, Cubans are happy people. We're positive people. Like, no matter what happens, we're going to try to get through it. So there's always kind of this environment of, like, you know, any challenge that gets thrown at you, tackle it, right? Go through yeah. it. Like, why go through it with a negative mindset? Um, so I kind of just always had that. But then I think when I had cancer and then, like, now even later on in life, I'm more like, you know, the only answer is to have a positive mindset in my head, right? Like, uh, like making yourself a victim isn't going to help anyone. Like, right. I can't control like how I got cancer or what kind of cancer I got, but I can control how I react to getting cancer, what I can do to move from that. And now in the rest of my life. That's a, a mic drop moment. The other thing is I wore this, <laughs> it's a Cuban shirt style nice. sure i wore this for you i, I love it thank you thank you i love and I mean, it dude look at like i'm having a good time right I mean, it's Again, like Cuban I people. It. we gotta go to miami soon yeah. you put on a cuban it's like wearing a cowboy hat it's like right. show me a person having a bad time in a cowboy hat in a cuban shirt right? Same thing. i love it so what when you're you're rolling through this and it's a two-year yeah. process so oh, yeah. i mean things high school is going on social yeah like advancements going on in high school and you're going through world war three at yeah. home. Well, how do you, so how do you do those two things at the same time? How do you be a present young, you know, 12, 13 year old, you're going through puberty, you're in high school. And then you're also yeah. on the side battling cancer. Like how did those work alongside each other? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I, I, I refuse to not, not go to school because I knew that that would be my escape from all of it. I knew that like sitting there and like learning and being around my friends would help me get through these things. But obviously my parents had to talk with our school administrators and go like, Hey, at the same time, he's going through cancer, like have some leeway with him and everything. And they're really understanding about that. But, but one memory that calls to mind is I'm sitting there one day and my uncles had come from Florida and I'm sitting in the class and I go like this to like, you know, just scratch your head. I don't know what high schoolers or middle schoolers doing class. And I go like this and all my hair starts falling out because of the chemo. Oh my God. Damn. And I'm like, oh man, you know, and like, you know, the girl I have a crush on is like right next to me. Like, you know, You're like, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I'm like, oh no, like, why right I got now? this like, for you. Yeah. <laughs> you. Um, yeah. And it, and it falls out and I'm just like sitting there for a moment and, and I'm thankful to the teacher at the time because immediately is like, Alex, I like, come up, like go to the principal's office. Like someone needs you. And they call the principal's office and they're like, Hey, his like hair is falling out. And, and that was the, that was the first experience yeah, that, was, that happened. Yeah. That was the first time of like the hair completely falling out right and in front of the girl, dude, right in front of the girl, man. I was so upset, <laughs> but, but I go to the principal's office and you know, he calls my dad and my dad's like, Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll get this sorted out right now. 20 minutes later, my uncle's uh, pulls up to the school. He's like, Hey, let's go takes me to my house, gets some clippers, shaves my head, and then shaves his head. And I'm like, man, like, with a family like this, how could I not? Like, yeah. you know, so, you know, they made it normal. And then thankfully, everyone at my school was like, they, they understood what's going on. You know, we had a very close-knit community at that school that I was at. And, you know, they were all understanding. And they, they never, like, if I didn't want to talk about cancer, they wouldn't talk about it. They would just treat me like a normal human being. So I'm, I'm always thankful for that community for what they did for me. It's interesting how that happens in, in high school. Like what, 
what people get bullied for and what what they don't like there's i think the severity sometimes is it's so big that it feels bigger than everyone so it's it's not yeah. like someone wears a silly shirt to class and then everyone's like laughing it's just it's so real that everyone kind of gets behind it exactly I've, but then at the same time you can have other people just completely put down so yeah. brutally for yeah. much less significant stuff it's such an interesting ecosystem that like, right, high school, school is I so know. weird so i was right. like an athlete the whole time i was in high school and I, so yeah. it was very much like that's all i did was yeah, ski and try to get better at skiing so all so, the other shit i was like i just didn't really have like time for it yeah but it's such a chaotic spot but but to your exact point like yeah. you're talking about mindset right yeah. something like this happens you got two ways you can look at it like i'm gonna body this thing and and handle it or you can like throw yourself a pity party and granted <laughs> it's a very big thing to take on yeah, to yeah. get through that yeah. when you made it all the way through chemo like at mm. a certain point do you do you get to a spot and the doctor goes like hey you're at this stage of it so you know you're close to the end and you know it's getting better or is i guess is there like a like a turning point through There's the process the, yeah the, so for me the turning point was right when chemo ended actually because they do these tests and right when chemo ended he's like hey like your cancer's gone like first of all congratulations he's like but we can't you know, we can't slip up now, you know what I mean? So then after the chemo um, comes radiation, like, you know, they, they do it just to ensure um, that the cancer completely goes away and never comes back. So after the after chemo itself, I was just excited to never have like art an artificial vein in me anymore, to never get these drugs in my body anymore. Um, but then radiation was in a challenge in itself. Like, you know, a lot of people don't know about radiation therapy is, you know, they put the, like, especially since I had it on my neck, they mold this like mask to your face. And because you're a kid, obviously you're moving around, you can't stay still, right? It's not like yeah. an adult. Um, but they mold this mask to your face and then they lock it into place so you don't move. And then, you know, sitting there for an hour just used to drive me crazy. Like I always tell my mom, I'm like, when I'm done, I'm grabbing that mask and burning it in a bonfire because I cannot handle that, man. Like, I, I don't even know the chemo. Like I feel like when I think back, it was like obviously terrible and everything, but that part, I just hated being under that mask. Like, so they take the, the chemotherapy on a is intravenous, right? It goes yes. in and then it on a cellular level, it's attacking the cancer cells, trying to eliminate them at yeah. the cost of the rest of your body's energy and your well-being, body. whatever. Yeah. When you make it through that and then to basically seal the whole thing shut is this radiation therapy. And that's, what is that equivalent to? It's like, I'm trying to picture like an infrared light. Yeah, it's but some sort like of a like, much more intense version of that. Yeah, that penetrates shooting, like, the skin. Yeah, they're shooting like really intense beams at you, basically, um, of light. It can be depending on the on its range is what it what it's at. Um, but they shoot it through you, and it, the the whole point is like I'm making sure I'm killing everything in that area. And whereas chemo is intravenous and more affects the entire body, radiation is specific pinpoints, right? So like gotcha. they knew it was on my left neck, so they're only pinpointing that left neck. They knew it was like near my chest, so they only wanted to pinpoint it near my chest, you know? And when, what is that sensation like if you can compare the two? Yeah, I mean, I, radiation, you don't really feel it at all. You're kind of just stuck there, honestly. But I just remember always getting this metallic taste in my mouth. That's the one biggest thing. I'd always tell my mom, like, I just taste metal all the time. Like, I hate it. Um, but, but that one, I, I would think radiation is probably a lot easier than chemotherapy. Just like chemotherapy is just, oh man, it's a whole, 
it's just like you can feel the destruction of your body whereas radiation is more like okay i'm getting like this done i have to be uncomfortable for like an hour i might feel a little bit nauseous after but i recover quickly after that who are you who are you looking up to or or like oh. reading about <laughs> or, or stuff through this because i imagine you have to kind of latch on to some type of inspiration right yeah i'm I, not even to be cliche but i think it's god like i think i had the most like just wonderful conversations with myself and God during that time. And I, I obviously believed in my family a lot. It was who I looked up to. Like, you know, my parents have also been through a lot. And I, I think I latch onto that. My brother a lot. Oh man, like my, I, I, I can't even imagine now. My brother doesn't like to talk about it, but him seeing me go through all this when, you know, he's always been that protector. He always protects me no matter what, even at this age. And I just can't imagine what he was going through. And I've just always looked up to my family and God at the time. Like I just, I turned very spiritual and I'm like, you know, if I'm going to get through this, it's going to be with the hand of God. So. Yeah. Did you maintain that spirituality following the treatments? I have. So my, my mom has a saying, she's like, you can like do whatever you want in life, but you better not stop believing in God because he <laughs> saves you. So, <laughs> so I, I've kept that promise with her. I, I do believe in God. Um, you know, I, at the time I went to private school, so I was going to church a lot. But but now that I'm older, I'm more like, you know, I can just have those conversations with him. Right. Um, and I don't need to go to church and I don't need to do whatever it is like. But yeah, I, not to dig here, but I'm but as yeah. an, a not religious person. Like I always yeah. find this very interesting. It, the connection yeah. you see this in athletics all the time, in in mm -hmm. incredible performances and in, in major feats, athletic performances, whatever it is, yeah. is this this gratitude, right? So, yeah, I want to thank God. I want to thank Jesus. Whatever that may be. Mm. Did it feel like the only thing I can think of is that? It's something so much, it's this concept of something so much bigger than you. Yeah. And you kind of, you can hang your hat on that through the process. And so maybe 11 year old Alex, 12, 13 year old Alex doesn't know how to grapple with the fact that he's going through this insane thing for, for anyone to go through. Mm -hmm. And so this belief in something bigger gives you somewhere to put like your hope is that how that relationship develops or what is the, those conversations that you're having while you're going through, what do they feel like reaching yeah. out to that? Yeah. So I definitely think you're, you're definitely on the right path, you know? And again, it, I think it also came back to, you know, I didn't want to show it to my parents. Like, obviously, you know, they see me like be sad sometimes or be depressed or fatigued and everything. But ultimately I didn't want to show them that, you know, I don't want to have that conversation with my dad or my mom or my brother and be like, Hey, am I going to die? You know what I mean? So I think a lot of it yeah. was going to God and be like, Hey, like I better not die. Like you better take me through this. Like <laughs> I have so much planned to like, you better not let me down right now. I'm too young for this. So I think a lot of those conversations came from something like that where like, you know, I want to like, you know, I just remember looking up the ceiling and be like, you know, I want to make it to high school. I want to make it to college. Like, just let me get to a degree. Let me get a wife. Let me have kids and then do whatever you want to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, all those conversations that I was having, you know, and yeah, I think it just comes from not wanting to, you know, show my family that, you know, I'm going through it, but like, I wanted to be strong enough. And I think that's the only place that I really wanted to turn to and feel comfortable turning to. So with that, that feeling of like, because I totally get that, right? Yeah. You, you're trying to be the rock for the emotions that everyone's feeling and stay strong. You keep the hope. They keep the hope. It It's like rising tide raises all ships. Everyone is just generally better off, right? Exactly. But how, how do you go through that? How do you have this approach and then not completely eliminate your ability to be emotional or present with people in your life? 
because it feels like you're you're kind of throwing a switch right like yeah. i'm going to be this way mm. but sometimes in life it's really valuable to not not valuable to wear your emotions on your sleeve but mm. there is some value in being emotional whether it's a, a loved one or a partner or exactly. a family member and that vulnerability of like not being this stone like untouchable person yeah. humanizes you and it makes relationships stronger so I doubt that you're thinking about that when you're like 12 getting through <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. But do you ever find yourself in your life like noticing that rigid kind of like, I can just handle this. I don't need to like break down at all. Yeah, no. So I actually had the opposite effect after cancer. Like instead of like turning to stone and like kind of sticking to myself, I like went the complete opposite way. I was like, you know what? I, I just basically got robbed of some of my childhood. And, you know, as much as like everyone else was having fun, like doing their whatever middle schoolers do at the time, um, you know, I didn't get to experience a lot of that. Like, you know, I, I couldn't like, you know, my friends would go to school and then go hang out. Whereas me, I was like, I got to go to the school and then get ready for the, for the war on Fridays, you know? So, <laughs> so with, with that, I kind of like the moment I was done with cancer and like, you know, this is why people always ask me, I'm sure you've heard Darwin say it like in class, you know, he's always smiling, always happy, you know? And, yeah. and I took that approach of like, why not always be happy? Why not always be smiling? You know, like I would walk through that ward of like the cancer ward. And I'm like, you know, if I just smile at these people and these kids that are like these families that are having chemo done, radiation done, you know, that might give them a sense of hope. They're like, if they see one kid smiling, why not? Why not? Why can't they, that be me smiling? Or why can't that be my kid smiling? You know what I mean? And, you know, I did work at Make-A-Wish and I was a wish services intern. And, you know, 97% of kids that get a wish done end up beating their cancer or beating their illness really? that they're faced with. Yeah, 97% of them. Damn. I have to fact check me, but it's for sure more than 90%. And I was just shocked when I heard that. I was like, that that just shows you a positive mindset or one positive event in that person's life completely can flip the switch. You know, how are you going to beat something if you already have the negative mindset of like, I'm going to die or I'm going to lose to this disease, right? Never. Yeah, I mean, that's this is a, a jump to what we'll talk a, a lot about in a little bit, I'm sure. But like, I mean, that's like martial arts, right? Like you tap gloves yeah. and if you're like, I'm going to get my shit rock, yeah. then it's you're not going to go very rocks. well, right? Yeah, exactly. So you have to have some, some sort of confidence. What was it, what was it like working with the Make-A-Wish Foundation? Oh man, it was great, man. If I tell you like going into work every day was probably the, like the most biggest blessing I've ever had in my life. And you know, it, I was like happy to be helping out kids because when I had the opportunity for Make-A-Wish and for, I think it was like Children's Miracle Network, I actually turned them down because I was like, you know what? Like, give it to someone who needs it. And my parents were big on this. When, like, when you were going through. Yeah, when, when you were, I was going yeah. through it. Yeah. I yeah. was very like, give it to someone who needs it. Like, I have a good support system. We have it figured out. Like, don't worry. My parents were on board with it too. They're like, you know what? Give it to someone else who needs it because like we're, we're, we're able to handle it right now. But working there and then like being able to give back to those kids. And then sometimes I'd have the opportunity to work with those kids, work with the doctors. Like I kind of saw every end of it and it was just, it just felt so fulfilling to like go full circle in that moment and like offer those kids wishes and then see them change after that. And then getting to hear that they're better now, like, oh man, it was just, it was probably one of the greatest experiences of my life. Not to, to be like morbid here, but <sighs> in those situations, there's obviously kids that don't fare well. Right. Yeah. And yeah that they receive the the wishes and they see the mm. support and then as it's like the most sad thing on the earth but yeah. their body's not in a position to fight it and they pass away yeah. so when you're doing that type of work are you exposed to 
you you want to provide support and hope, right, for people that are battling it, but you also want to su- provide love to the people that aren't doing so well. Like, so are you kind of face to face with kids that know that they're past a stage of like recovery? Yeah. So th- there were a few instances where there were kids like that, but I think uh, Make Wishes methods are really good. Where they were like, you know, you're still providing this happy moment for the family. You know, regardless totally. of the kid, right? Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. many times this kid is like completely in pain and, and always like feeling bad. And that, that's just one instance where like the family gets to see them happy and not worry about yeah. anything, right? Not worry about when's the next treatment coming, if they're going to make it past the next day, you know? And right. so many times families would reach out and be like, you know what, just thank you that we're so thankful that we have this memory with our kid, you know, that we could have never had without you guys. And you know, obviously it's unfortunate. I don't want to see anyone lose their life, but you know, I think that again, a positive is coming out of that. At least the family is like getting this positive moment with their children. So, well, and them too. I mean, for I, I again, I can't imagine or begin to yeah. imagine what it's like to be in their position, but to have mm-hmm. something that's like, I'm sure that they look forward to the day where the Make Wish workers yeah. are coming through oh, yeah. every single time, right? Like yeah, that absolutely. moment where they're coming in is like the best part of their day to yeah. to see and experience something that isn't just going through the therapy it's like exactly absolutely here's something that's totally different like this guy's rad and we're laughing and now it's fun and like that moment on the the spectrum of experience that they go yeah. through before they you know unfortunately yeah. pass away is like a, a positive <laughs> man that's yeah that's insane that i it's so wild in life that it's just a complete dice roll man like you can <laughs> You can be the the most elite athlete in the world and and get cancer. You can smoke. People have smoked cigarettes every single day of their life, and then they Never live to be it. like a hundred. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, of course, of right. course, the numbers don't support that, right? Like, those are outliers of, for yeah. sure. But still, like, I had, you know, close friends that that we know, extremely healthy, got diagnosed with uh, lymphatic cancer. Same thing, right? Yeah. Yep, same thing. It was like uh, in the armpit. Yep, same thing. And it's like, how how did that happen? You know, when when you come out of that, what's how old are you now? Twenty six. Okay, so it's been thirteen years, right? Yeah. Yep. What is the the exit conversation like? I mean, you beat it, you move past it, like. I, do you have anxiety about that? Is there like the likelihood that it comes back in the future? I mean, what, how do they kind of send you off once you yeah, accomplish so, this and like beat it? Yeah. So once I finished my last radiation, um, I met up with Dr. Gain again and he goes, okay, listen, for the next six months, um, we got to monitor you. So like every six months I would go in, get all the scans again, do all the blood work tests again. And then up to about five years, you have to do it every six months. And then they transition to one year after that. And then after five years, you transition into every year, every year you go get checked. And so I remember when I hit the 10th year, um, I go to Dr. Paul Gannon's office and he's like, he's like, whoa, you're back again. He's like, you must love this place or something. And I'm like, trust me, (laughs) I don't. (laughs) And, you know, and in that moment, he kind of had the conversation with me and my mom. And he's like, listen, like, you've made the checks for 10 years. He's like, after this, you're more likely to get hit by a bus on the street than get get this certain type of cancer again. And, you know, just hearing that, like, with my mom and my dad there is like, oh, man, like, finally, this whole thing is kind of over, you know. So they do have a really good regimen because they can come back, you know. And I I think this comes back to a lot of 
I'm always a proponent of like screen yourself. Doesn't matter yes, how healthy yeah. you are, how like what you do, you can be the most athletic person, whatever. Screen yourself every day or like every month. Try to just screen yourself, you know, go to the doctor. Like you'd be surprised how many people don't go to the doctors like once a year. Just go once a year. It's better to catch it early. Like I'm so thankful my pediatrician was like, here it is. If not, I don't know if I would still be here today. So I, I'm a big proponent of screen yourself as much as possible. I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, especially yeah. like if if you have the ability, if you have healthcare, if you can afford healthcare, you're on healthcare plan. Just yeah. do it. Run a blood <laughs> panel a couple times a year. Like yep. find out there's there's stuff that internally on a physiological level, mm -hmm. there's just things that can happen that don't feel a certain way. Like you exactly. punch me in the face, I feel that instantly, <laughs> and I know what happened. There's a lot that goes on in our body that you don't feel. You don't feel for years. Don't feel you don't feel it develop. You don't feel your arteries clog. You yep. don't feel any of that stuff. That's why they call, exactly. you know, cardiac arrest a silent killer because silent all of killer. a sudden it just happens. And it doesn't take much to put yourself in a position to at least hedge your bets on catching things, whether exactly. it is blood related or whether it's something else. Like you said, yeah. check yourself. Check yourself in the shower. Like do all these things because you can always go and see and it be nothing. Exactly. And I, yeah. It's just nothing. <laughs> I had did. I was, I was freaking, this is so dumb, but like we watched this one documentary and there was this like guy who had, he had was diagnosed with cancer in like his lumbar. And of course yeah. I know nothing about this person's lifestyle. They were extremely, they were in a position and they had genetics that all led like to this happening. Gotcha. Yeah. And of course I happened to like, injure my back at the around the same time strength training and i was yeah. in freak out mode so i went in i did like an mri i got everything yeah. looked at and it was nothing but the fact that it was nothing it felt so like you don't know until you get that so you know. affirmation <laughs> right from someone yeah. that's like no look hey this is just a it's a disc issue it, you know our discs degenerate over exactly. time yours is yeah. going a little faster and you're like okay cool it's not that but it yeah it doesn't take much to go and screen what are for stuff like that, mm -hmm. from what I understand, it's not like yours was visual, right? But it's not necessarily yeah. painful. Yeah, no, mine wasn't. It's actually weird because people that get Hodgkin's lymphoma, they feel fatigue and they feel like all these like migraines and headaches. And I never got any of that. Like I would, really? my mom always asked me, she's like, do you feel sick or anything? I'm like, I feel normal. I feel like completely normal. And you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it, right? That my body was like literally trying to destroy itself. But I felt completely normal. That I was never fatigued, never had any migraines, never like felt out of the, I feel like a normal kid, like literally just going through middle school. So yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. It's that that's even more reason to, to check, to get checked. Yeah. Was it, was there anything about that experience that pushed you to want to pursue biology and oh, in your studies? Yeah. yeah, that is probably okay. the reason. Yeah, That's the reason that I uh, wanted to go in and I didn't necessarily know at the time I wanted to do doctor, but I didn't know any better. Um, of course, because I'm seeing Dr. Gannon work with me and everything, but I, I knew I wanted to be in science somewhere revolved around science, no matter where it was, even, even if it was like science and business or science and marketing, I wanted to be surrounded by science. Um, yeah. And that's because, that's because that like, had such an impact on your life. Literally. Like, absolutely. Literally, right? Yeah. Like it was amazing to watch. Like, and, and you know, I do want to shout out uh, another person is Penelope, my nurse. Like, I don't know why nowadays nurses just get like completely disregarded. If it was not for that nurse sitting by my bedside four hours every Friday, I probably would not be here. Like the most attentive person in the world. Like I still go back and give her and Dr. Gain and like a little gift on the holidays or some little gift every year. I like, love that. 
Yeah, like, the nurses are just amazing. And, like, people kind of brush them off all the time. But the nurses are the ones that are there for you, like, changing the dressing on your arm. Like, hand-holding you literally through the chemotherapy. And I just feel like they get disregarded a lot. But, like, man, she was, like, probably one of the most influential people during that time. And, like, helped me keep that good, solid mindset. Yo, shout out Penelope. Yeah, literally. (laughs) I had a – it's so funny. Now I'm kind of thinking back. So when I was – you've seen the scar on my chest? Yeah, I've seen it. You see that, right? Yeah. So when I was 16, uh, actually, this was at UCLA also. We we lived in Colorado, but we found this doctor who pioneered the surgery called pectus excavatum, where they, they take an uh, asymmetrical growth on, a car, on the cartilage on your sternum, and they cut it off, and then they depress everything back down so it's even. You ever see someone with, like, a like their shirt sticks out or they have, like, a depression like that? Yeah, yeah. So my, mine was like that, but it was asymmetrical, so it buckled on one side and stuck up. And so we found this doctor who, who would do the surgery at UCLA. We flew out to California, and I got that done. And I, it was eight hours of surgery. They, like, stitched a metal rod in my chest. And then I had three days in the hospital, six weeks outpatient, like, recovery, and then another surgery to get the rod taken out. But while I was there in the hospital for three days, while they're, like, basically they're, like, trying to get you to go to the bathroom again for, like, three days, right? Because you're on all these fucking drugs, yeah. and you're, like – just I had this like morphine drip and I just lay in bed and watch like Seinfeld and then I just like click this thing nonstop. And they had such a surreal experience. Like they had this separator. There was one other bed in in where we were and the yeah. guy next to me was he had stage four cancer and he was passing away. He was like twenty nine. And his family was coming in every night and I'm sit so I'm sitting there like like whining about my chest with a literal juxtaposition, like 15 feet away. And I'm like, yeah, I, this is, I'm like, whatever this sucks, but like, I can, I'll deal with this. And I had these two nurses. One was this lady. I I don't remember either of their names now, but I was, because I was so much like morphine stuff when I was in there. And then I, dude, I had this Samoan dude who was like, 450 pounds and he was like 6'2". I mean, he looked like the mountain in (laughs) and he would come in the middle of the night and he would just scoop under me and pick me up and carry me over to like I was a 16 year old kid like I'm a grown ass high schooler pick me up and he would bring me over to the bathroom so that I could like once I stopped (laughs) using the catheter and I could actually go pee by myself and I would just like hold onto the walls and go pee and then he'd be like you're done. And I'm like, yeah. And he'd come and he'd like pick me up and put me back in bed. And I'm like, dude, without these people here, without these nurses at 2 a.m., shout, like shout out every nurse, right? Shout that's out all out the there. nurses. Because yes. that experience, you're so helpless when you're sitting there. Yeah. Right? My, ch- your, my chest was like caved. I had all these staples in it. I couldn't move my arms. And I just lay there on drugs and go all of a sudden this pee bottle starts filling up next to me or like you know whatever is happening you're just so out of your element and these people are trained in how to take care of others it's it's like the most selfless thing and they're wildly underpaid right yes oh they're not making like anywhere near the money that they should for what they're doing and then they also it's just like customer service one-on-one people are they only call with an issue right yeah no one's calling to say like yo Dude, Good thanks job. for taking me to pee at 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I need a bedpan. This is the wrong medication. I don't like this bread. Exactly. Whatever. Uh, so, yeah, shout out Penelope. That That's yeah, awesome. Literally. And you still have a relationship with her? 
Yeah, I still try to go back. We obviously because of COVID, we had to stop going for the last couple of years. But planning on going back again this year. So I'm, I'm um, hopefully I can see them, see that they have a, I have a master's. But when I got my bachelor's degree, I ended up going them too. They like celebrated with me. It was really cool. Yeah, <laughs> that is so. Ah, that like warms my heart. That's so cool that yeah. they that they're a part of that. I mean, I'm sure you, those relationships become very strong as you go through something like that. Absolutely. What did it mean to you to one, complete your bachelor's and then two, to go on and get a master's? Yeah. So, oh man, the, the bachelor's degree was a mission. I'm not going to lie. Um, okay. Started in there. Um, the first semester I actually ended up getting alopecia, which is for the people that don't know, it's what I have, right? I don't have any hair anywhere. Um, and then I, it was kind of tough, you know, like, when I was younger and I lost my hair, it was like, ah, whatever, I lost my hair, you know. But right. when you're in college, you're kind of like, dang, I lost my hair. Like, how, how are people going to look at me now, right? Like, and, and every once in a while, I do get the like, oh, you have cancer or you shave your eyebrows. Um, and it does make me laugh. Like, you know I me, mean? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a happy person. I think yeah. it's hilarious when people yeah. say those things. But, yeah, so it, it was pretty tough. For, for the longest time, you know, I, I didn't know how to study. Like, in high school, I kind of was just like, I could read the book and I'm good, but college is yeah. a whole other different beast. And so I struggled a little bit and, you know, these general science classes that you take, you know, they don't tell you that they try to weed you out of those classes, right? Those like big general biology courses, yeah. they're to kick you out of there. They want to see like if they can kick you out of the major, which I, I thought never made any sense, right? Like I, I think the whole reason you're there is like, you should be there to teach me, right? Cause I clearly don't know. So why are you trying right. to kick me out if I don't know? If I, if I at least have the intent to gain this knowledge, why not try to help me out? Um, so, then, yeah, we went through went through all that. Did, had a terrible GPA the first few years. I was working two to three jobs at Make-A-Wish, at Kaplan, at UCR, working there itself. Um, but then it wasn't until I actually got an opportunity um, from one of the professors in bioengineering at the Time Lab at UCR, Dr. Joshua Morgan, um, where he actually gave me an opportunity. Like I, I literally came in and I was like, Hey, my GPA is terrible, but I'll tell you why I work two to three jobs. Um, and I have no time to study, but I, I want to, I'll, I'll, I literally told them like, I'll quit a job to go in and work for your lab. Like, I just want to go in a lab and see what actual science is like. And you know, he didn't have to give me that opportunity. I had a terrible, terrible GPA. But once I got into the lab, once I understood the lab stuff, the, the science stuff, like the extracurricular or like the academia stuff like actually doing the schoolwork immediately went up like if i had so never had crazy. that lab experience yeah if i had never had that lab experience i would just never know how to study for science or how to connect things in science and i, I think just so many people are getting robbed because they don't get that lab experience like they might think they're terrible at science but really in reality all they needed to do was like actually see it in person and then be able to translate it back to when you're doing your schoolwork it is really interesting when you think about the like the weeding out the big lecture hall classes because yeah i get both sides of it right part yeah. of it is like let's get rid of the people that are here for the wrong reasons and yeah. find the elite because science is difficult and we're solving big world problems and so you want the most elite people there but on the flip side of that to your point you might be stifling curiosity of someone who could then go on because they're inspired by the material and then become a good learner because exactly. the the approach is wrong. It's not that the material is difficult for that person. It's the approach to learning the material, te teaching the exactly. material, which is really just like, hey, here it is. Can you figure it out? Here's yeah. the test. Take it. Yeah. Like how many people are brilliant, would be brilliant scientists, would be brilliant biologists that just don't connect with that method of 
screening, which is, I just had actually this conversation with um, this doctor on here and, and she works directly with like different learning styles and kind of the future yeah. of education and policy around that. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of these like flexible learning approaches now where you, you take a class or a group of kids and then you kind of cater within the same system, you cater the learning style to what they do. Like some yeah. kids are generally just more social. They learn better in an environment where they participate and they talk. Some students are more reclusive, but they, that doesn't mean they're stupid. It's just, they learn a different way. Some yeah. have to be more hands-on They're like more of a Montessori approach. So when you do them all under the same roof, everyone gets better because exactly. they all get to learn the way that they learn. Exactly. So you might've not done fantastic in these big fucking, yeah. you know, whatever <laughs> biology nice. classes yeah. where you're like just a number, but then you get to the granular stuff and it's like, this is what I came for. So you're, exactly. you're in there and you start connecting with this material and then how did it go from there through to the masters? Yeah. Yeah. So once I done, did that, right. Like I did my, um, I was in the lab and I finished school and I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Like, obviously at that point, I know I don't have the GPA for med school, but obviously I was still doing like med school stuff, but still, even then I was like, I just want to do science. Like, what can I do out there? That's like, you know, science. So I had one of these classes um, by his name is Dr. Jeff Perry, and he was teaching us about endocrinology. And that was the probably one of the only classes I sat in the front for like every single day. Like I was the first one there <laughs> asking him all the questions and everything. Um, so I built like a relationship with him and I, I just asked him to like, hey, can we like meet after this and talk about like what's the future in science? He sat me down and he's like, apply to grad school. Like who cares about the GPA? He's like, you know how many people I know that have their PhDs that have like accomplished thing in life that had a terrible GPA in undergrad. And now they're like winning all these awards in science and like right. publishing all these papers. And so it wasn't until he told me that, that I actually even thought about a master's and I had another uh, mentor, Dr. Bethany Culkins, and she's same thing. She was like, just, just go and apply. Like, why not try to apply? So Obviously, by the time I had that conversation, it was a little bit too late. So I ended up working at Beyond Meat for a little bit, right? Trying out food science. Not for me. I've come to figure out yeah. it's not for me. I need to work with humans and stuff. Yeah. Um, so then uh, I applied to Scent here at San Marcos under Dr. Julie Jameson. And I, I just thought like, you know, again, like the path is kind of being shown to me because she yeah. works on alopecia, which is what I have. And again, I'm coming in with not a big GPA, but she was willing to take the chance on me. And I, and I think yeah. it's paid off for us both. So... Yeah, that's wild. Good. So, a couple of things there. So, you worked yeah. uh, at Beyond Meat. Yes. What was that like? I mean, that's like basically the food version of a startup, right? I mean, you're like yeah. changing yeah, so, the in industry. Yeah. So, I, at the time, I was vegan. Of course, as you know, I was trying to grow my hair Dude, back from alopecia. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, I'm not not today, but like yeah, before, when I, I met remember. my fiance, she had been vegan for seven years. On the drop of a dime, I became vegan overnight, and I was for a year. <laughs> So I was yeah. hammering beyond meat, fucking everything for like a year. <laughs> and year, then I was right? like, yeah. wait, dude, this is just as processed as everything else. As everything else. <laughs> yeah. So there I was a innovation lab assistant. And basically I was like helping create new formulas to come up with the food. And to me, it like blew my, yeah, it blew my mind at the time. Yeah. Cause I was like, I didn't even know you could have science and food. Like, I don't know why I didn't think those two things would like ever connect together, but they obviously do. And so, yeah, I was trying to help come up with new formulations for food. Um, some of the stuff is like out in the market now, which is weird. I like walk by and I'm like, whoa, I helped make that. Like, it's kind of weird, you know? Um, 
Yeah, so, but then I realized, like, it's not for me. I don't like smelling, like, all these weird smells every day when I walk into work <laughs> and working with really weird stuff and, like, taste testing stuff. Like, but but it was such a cool company. Like, I can't, I, I don't want to downplay that. It was really cool. Like, for if sure. you're vegan or if, like, you're even interested in food science, what a company to, like, grow and, like, explore those things. But for me, I, like, I always wanted to get back to, like, the human side or the translational side of science. So immunology are was, you, like, the perfect step. Are you vegan now? I'm not Still? vegan now. Not. Uh, uh, what I, was I, that I, like, leaving veganism? <laughs> so <laughs> I laugh. I love like, saying it's so dramatic yeah. like that because <laughs> I, I watched my fiance do it after seven years. Yeah, man. So it's hilarious. My friends always laugh at me because one day I just texted all of them and I was like, "Yo, I just want some fried chicken." And I just went to like Popeyes and I just ate fried chicken. And uh. after that, I was like. Yeah, I'm never going back to it. <laughs> like, I can't do that ever again. Like, the meat is too good. Like, props to everyone who stayed vegan. Like, I was vegan for five years. I did my thing. I, I you know, I gave back. Um, but I'm, I'm back on the meat train. So, <laughs> dude, uh, that's so funny. I remember. So I was. So yeah, my my fiance was when I met her. She had been vegan for seven years. Like yeah. hardcore. No, and and so I'm reading eating animals, and I'm reading the China study, and I'm like, dude, I'm eating it all. I'm like gobbling it up because I, I'm like, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, how much of it was me being like curious about being vegan? Then how much of it was me like really wanting to date this girl? And yeah, exactly. so I don't know. It's like you know, fifty fifty. But uh, I remember I was in Oregon. Uh, with some friends for a bachelor party and I get a text from her that's like, I'm going to get eggs. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, that was huge, dude. Like she was hardcore yeah, vegan for, for years. Years, Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, one day, I'm telling you, it's one day that it happens. <laughs> and I remember like after, so I had been from when her and I started dating, like over a dude, I mean, I went to work, I ate meat for lunch. I went to bed that night and I woke up and for a year I was 100% <laughs> like, I wouldn't touch a label with if it had milk powder in it. I'd be like, nah. Yeah. Yeah. And I was leaving work one day, and there, my favorite sushi place was right below where I worked up in LA. Yeah. And I walked by, and I did like that back step that they do, you know, <laughs> in the movie. In the and movies. I looked again, and I was like, nah. I was like, yeah, nah, you can't do that. And then I was like, fuck it. <laughs> like, I did a U turn. I went in, I sat right at the bar, and I put my phone away, and I just had this like, bomb sushi meal and i was <laughs> it was like my world came back to me i was so right. happy and i was like damn like no shade i i have so much respect for people that eat that way and and, and there's yeah i learned more actually about myself eating vegan for a year yeah. and my nutritional habits than i had learned doing anything else in food for years no yeah absolutely. so learning everything i did it's very valuable but now how to like was part of that was part of that because of the battle with cancer like were you trying to just be super on point super clean and what goes in your body like was that the approach to eating that way yeah so it definitely factored in like i you know obviously i was starting to get older and i'm like okay like this is about the time where you know the side effects start kicking in and so i also had alopecia and i had been like following studies like self-studying on my own like you know what, what have people done and one of them was going vegan and you know it, it did grow my hair back i don't know if it's like really that's because it's all vegetables. My, my hypothesis now is that it's more like, um, when, when I eat foods that are like inflammatory, like pork or red meat, like 
you know, my hair will go down, right? Because we know alopecia has to do with inflammation. Um, but again, this is all like just my personal belief. Like, I hope someone someone do a science study on it, please. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so at the time, I just wanted to be healthy, you know. But then again, I had the same thought of you as we're like, you know, this stuff is just as processed. Like, I'm not yeah. getting any healthier after this. So, well, yeah, I guess it did. one. It's hard, right? So there's yeah. a couple ways. Like, if you're if you're vegan and you're just eating plants and plant based. Yeah things that's one thing yeah. if you're uh being vegan but you're really just trying to replace all the meat shit you used to eat <laughs> by eating like seat like a seat and chorizo whatever, yeah. and like tons of tofu and tons yeah. of fake burgers and fake hot dogs and exactly like if you're if now you're missing the point because exactly you're taking more nutrient empty foods that are processed just as much as the other stuff but without the yeah. as much nutrients and you're mm -hmm. eating that. So you're not getting a, if you're doing it because of your ethics around animals or something, cool, it's fine, you're yeah. accomplishing it. But yeah. the trade-off on quality and nutrients is not happening not if that's yep. the way you're doing it. And I found yeah. myself like, like, dude, I'd wanna like smash a hamburger. <laughs> so what do I do? Yeah. I go and I get triple decker impossible burger with fake cheese like exactly dude, that's disgusting <laughs> exactly exactly when you can just get a regular burger in and out <laughs> right so uh, then you're like uh, and your stomach's all like destroyed because you, yeah, yeah. you just shotgunned a bunch of chemicals exactly exactly yeah yeah that's oh, funny yeah. so with yeah. the the alopecia you said your hair it grew back yeah so how does that yeah, so, happen? Yeah, I think you kind of tell right now sometimes when we're training, but I get like little patches of like hair that grows back. Um, and, you know, alopecia is such a frustrating disease. Like anyone that will tell you like one day you'll get like so much hair back and then like six months from now, it's all back gone again. Right. Yeah. And like some of the treatments are like jack inhibitors, which like, you know, they're a little bit like they're not per se like the cure for it because at the end of the day, you're being treated with this drug that's suppressing your immune system, right? So, like, right. per se, someone that had cancer, I, I don't want to have my immune right, system yeah, suppressed anymore, right? Like, so, you know, and I remember that conversation when it came time with my doctor, and he's like, hey, would you rather, like, be healthy or have hair? And I'm, yeah. like, <laughs> I'm like, well, when you put it like that, <laughs> I'll definitely be healthy, you know? So it, it's a frustrating disease, but, yeah, my hair was growing back. And like, you know, the, the outline completely grew back. I never actually grew it out because I'm just okay with being bald now and just having a shaved head. Yeah, I would say you like own it with the yeah. bald biologist shit. Like, yeah, I love it. I, I, yeah. I think, dude, I think all this shit is like, it comes down to how you carry yourself. Everything is how you carry yourself. Like, yeah. if you're, whatever the thing is, whatever it is that you're insecure about, if, yeah. if that's, if you carry the insecurity first, and you show it everywhere all the time, Exactly. then you're going to embody that. But when like, you don't get to, to feel how other people perceive you, you only get to feel how you think they do. So like, exactly. I, I don't know. I, I've never known you any other way. Right. Yeah, so I'm exactly. like, dude, just rocks yeah. the fucking bald yeah. hair dude. Dope. <laughs> like, exactly. I don't yeah. know. I didn't know, know nothing different. And, and yeah. so many people are like that. So, yeah. but we, we create these things in our head. We're like, oh man. I should do this or I should do that. Or like, yeah. like no one fucking cares, man. Yeah. They don't care. They really don't care <laughs> when you're, when you're working with, so now within your masters, you're working directly yeah. with alopecia. 
Yeah. Are you working in the capacity with clients? Are you looking at just like this disease in general and how it represents itself in different people and then ultimately how to like cure it or work towards a cure? Yeah. Or was it just something you're interested in because it's personal to you and you wanted to know more about it? Yeah. So it definitely started out with me just having it. I was interested in how it worked and it was kind of not like many other diseases that are out there, right? It's kind of frustrating. Like usually you can like inject someone with something and cure them or at least, you know, keep injecting them. But this one you like inject it or you treat it with a drug. And if you stop the drug, it'll come back. So originally I was just, it was just pure interest. But when I got to the master's program, they, they, they sort of train you to like think in a different way. And, and we actually have this paper coming out soon because we, um, there's this protein called the bone marrow stromal antigen two. And it's actually elevated. Yeah, boom. Uh, it's yeah. actually elevated um, in these T cells, these uh, epidermal gametal T cells. I, I would get more in depth on this, but I'm going to lose like. No, no, 99%. you can. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Roll with it. Like, it's okay, good. So, go deep. Go deep. Yeah, it, it's so, better for the podcast. Yeah, okay. So we know, um, like, when you hear on the news and people talk about T cells, they're talking about alpha beta T cells. That's like the most prevalent ones in humans and mice. But there are these specialized ones called gametal T-cells. And within those T-cells, there's even more specialized one called epidermal gametal T-cells. And you can find them in your skin. Um, and we know they play a role um, in surveillance and wound healing and maintaining your skin homeostasis, right? So it's, like, it's almost acting as like your skin is your first line of defense in reality, right? Um, so we found that on those and on macrophages, macrophages just end up uh, eating kind of the trash that's in the body, right? They're kind of yeah. like the, I call them the garbage disposals. Um, so we found that this BSC2 is up, or let's see, it's elevated on those two cells. Um, and that hadn't been seen before. So, you know, uh, me, like as, you know, again, the kid with a 2.62 GPA and then right. now doing this like really good high level science work, I was like, whoa, I actually like, like as I'm, like discovering these things with my team because I am a mentor. I'll talk about the mentees in a little bit, but yeah. um, as I'm going through these things, I'm like, wait, am I actually like discovering this? Like, you know right. you're like, like, am I, I the, but it's not, <laughs> yeah, but it is, right. So like I'm discovering these things and I'm like, oh yeah, like, you know, it doesn't really mean much. And then I, I like keep discovering things. And, you know, there was a moment where my PI and then a PI is like your boss in the lab. Right. Um, my PI looks at me and she's like, Alex, like, you're, you're solving things like what, like you've solved, like, you know, like, like can you like be excited? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, you know, yeah. like it's, it's surreal, but you know, it, it really is a team effort and just like finding things out in science is like, you know, it's, it's like human nature to be curious and to want to solve these questions. And when you do, you're kind of like, Oh shoot. Now I have 20 more questions to solve. So it's like a right. never ending cycle in science of like doing these things. I heard this, I mean, it was a great quote, but it, it, yeah. I'm, it was a great quote that I'm going to misquote, but okay. I'm going to get the point across. Okay. So, yeah. uh, in just in the heart of like all the COVID fiasco, yeah. everything, um, this one scientist I was listening to, he's like, look, <clears throat> things get being wrong is a feature of science. It's not a bug of science. So like yeah. everyone wants to go, well, the science is wrong. That's what makes it so fucking great. Is it, yes. It's wrong. <laughs> exactly. When it's wrong, it gives you the opportunity to then correct and let, like show exactly. me anything that we're using right now, any piece of equipment. It didn't get, it wasn't right on the first try, dude. It was exactly. refining it and it's trying things out and figuring out what doesn't work and moving forward. And 
you always want to lean on the most available, best quality research subject to the fact that that research might be wrong. And that doesn't make it bad research. It makes it part of the scientific process. So it's like, it's, it's an it must be really interesting for you to be in the minutia of it. Yeah. At the same time that people are like wanting to reject academia and science all over the world. You know, like, I think people forget that, you know, back in the dark ages, right? We used to think the earth was the center of the universe, right? And what did they do to that guy? They burned him at the stake and carbon feathered him, right? And I'm, I'm sure he's somewhere out there laughing at us right now, going like, I told you guys this is the center of the universe, right? right. So I think, I think people tend to forget that. And with the failure thing, one thing that I, I almost every week or almost every day in my lab, I go up to my mentees and I'm like, you are here to fail. Like 99% of being a scientist is failing. And the 1% of the times that things work out, that's what elevates the research, right? Like I tell them, you have to have this mindset of like, I can't, you can't be afraid to fail. If you're afraid to fail, you're never going to do great science. But if you go in with the mentality, like this is probably going to fail, right? Whether, whether it's like you making a technical error or the science just not working most of the time you fail. Like if this is true in every lab I've been to, you're going to fail most of the time. But it's that one percent of the time where you succeed that leads to great research and great science. Yeah, like there was uh, what was this? I'm going to butcher the breakthrough, but there was just yeah. a major energy breakthrough that a group of scientists achieved, like in the last mm-hmm. week or so, and they've been working on it for over a decade. <laughs> so, like, that doesn't mean that they've been thinking about the right way to do it for a decade. That means they've been yeah. trying and getting it super wrong for a decade. Yeah. That's <laughs> millions of dollars of research money. That's millions of attempts. But then this 1% lottery winning shot exactly. now potentially is going to alter the, the entire energy game for right. the world. Like you want that process going on. You want people to be pursuing that kind of shit all the time. Yeah. It just, honestly, science comes down to persistence and resilience. Just how, how comfortable are you with failing over and over again? And how long can you do that for until you get the right answer? That couldn't be a, uh, I mean, you want to talk about some martial arts? Yeah. I was a perfect transition. Into <laughs> <laughs> that was like waiting for the right moment of when to throw it. It's all about timing, right? Yeah. Martial arts, all yeah, about timing. Exactly. Uh, how did you get into jiu-jitsu and striking? You know, so for the longest time, I've always watched the UFC right away. My dad does a lot of mixed martial arts, but for some reason, he never wanted me to do it. Um, but finally, like, I turned 25, and I was like, Dad, you know what? I think it's, I think it's time. Like, I'm going to do it. Like, you know, and I'd always liked jiu-jitsu. And the reason I actually, um, like, went after jiu-jitsu is because it takes at least 10 years to get the black belt. Yeah. And I think that is the perfect, like, just test to, like, callous your mind. Like, like when I first, before I even started, I was like, you know, I'm going to challenge myself to at least do this 10 years. Like, I want to yeah. get the black belt. Like, I, I, I'm convinced. Like, no matter what, I'm going to go for that black belt. And I like that it's, like, I have to show up every day. I'm, like, I, I remember the first time I went into, into um, the Carlsbad gym, and I got my ass handed to me. Like, like no other – and, yes. you know, I thought I could at least go in there and, like, you know, <laughs> get a takedown or something. No. Nah. No. First day, <laughs> I, I went over 10 the first day. Let's just say that. So, you know, and, and that day I was like, oh, yeah, this is the thing for me. Like, if I can go in and get my ass beat every day but get 1% better every day, this is, like, the sport that I want to be in. It's yeah. interesting the 
the the mindset that it, not that it can't be molded through the process, but that you kind of have mm -hmm. to have for for jujitsu to oh, yeah. work, right? Like, yeah, that that approach. Knowing, I was the same way. I was like, I'm super curious about this thing. Yeah. I want to go try it. But it was in the first time that I went, I realized how much I didn't know and how long the road was going to be. But yeah. there's no greater teacher of patience than how hard you have to go every day. Like you can't, you can go in and you can train a little bit less intense, right? And in some cases yeah. that's advisable because yeah. it's good to keep your body in good positions. Sometimes you overtrain, you don't want to get hurt. But yeah. like, you think about by the time that you get a black belt around your waist, how yeah. many days you've trained and like put yourself there, right? And yeah. and you you will see this. I've already seen it in the the amount of time that I've been doing this. Like, mm. how many people stop between yeah. white and blue? Like hundreds, dude. And then you get yeah. into that blue, and people just stop for weird reasons. They, they get out of it. They're like, oh, we moved, but you couldn't find another, another gym academy. <laughs> like there's like 5 million in like a one mile radius here, or they get, you know, they have a kid, well, whatever it is, yeah. it just weed out, weed out, weed out. And then, and you go to any school, right? You look at a, yeah. a class. If everyone was there, hundreds of white belts, yeah. and then it's just less and less and less yeah. and less. And it's yeah. this persistence, this like, you just keep going. You just keep going. You just keep going. You get tapped, you get tapped, you get tapped, you get tapped. <laughs> And then you don't, and then you do, and you do, and you do, and you do, and you, do, and you, do, and you, you know, it's like constant cycle. But there's something about that. When you started doing it, did you start just jujitsu or did you also start doing striking at the same so, time? So, yeah, I did both at the same time because, you know, I love the jujitsu and the ground game, but I, I know like you have to be well-rounded nowadays. Like the UFC is the perfect, like you have to be well-rounded. You can't just be a striker. can't just be a wrestler. can't just be a grappler. Got to have a little bit of both. So I went in the first day and I did both and haven't stopped since the day, so it feels good <laughs> so far. I love I love the stand up for just it being something different. Like you learn yeah. when I first started doing jujitsu, it was funny because yeah, I felt like the the what people would tell me about it is like, ah, oh, dude, if it ever popped off, like people just don't understand how how much i'd like whoop their ass because i i roll and i'm like <laughs> yeah. i was like damn oh that's true that's true they show you some like arm lock they would do and you're like wow, yeah that guy would fuck me up yeah and then you meet steve and you're like oh yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> uh, so it would never go that way actually yeah. <laughs> and then you start to see because i'm like you i mean i've been a fan of the ufc for as yeah, long yeah. as i can remember you know i'm watching fights with kids in high school i don't even know because none of my <laughs> friends were like down to watch it <laughs> and you just see the levels to this stuff. Yeah, like, man. It's insane. How do you push through the, like, do you ever draw from your ability to overcome this insane diagnosis when you're younger and this yeah. like persistence mentality that it takes to show up every day when your body's banged up and you look around and you're like, damn, it's this group of people again. Like, you know, <laughs> no, yeah, I, you know, I, I think just with the cancer it's definitely like cemented the mindset of like, you have to go into something and know like you're going to fail, but the, your end goal is to win. Like I, I have this like group chat with my friends and specifically my best friend, like every Sunday we don't text each other. Like, Hey, like, I hope we win this week or I hope we get things done this week. Every Sunday we, we send one thing and we know what it means. We have to win. 
right? And and the whole embodiment is like, we have to win this week no matter what. Like someone else is has it way harder than you and they found a way to succeed this week. So why can't you do it, right? So it's just this mentality we always have. And when, when it like translates to jujitsu, you know, I, I don't like there's sometimes where I'm under there, someone has me like in full mount and I'm like, man, I would rather be any place yeah. than here right now. But then I think I'm like, you know, and like in the beginning, it was very like, I don't want to be in these uncomfortable positions. But then like, you know, after training with you, after training with like Gabby, Henry, some of our professors, Darwin, Steve and all this, I learned like the opposite should be true. I should want to get into those bad positions because yeah. once I'm there, I'm like, oh, I'm here. I'm in a bad position. Like now, how do I work to get out of here? So like my game, even in the last month has completely changed. Like after a tournament, completely yeah. changed about how I thought about everything. That, it's crazy what that does, huh? The dynamics yeah. of a, it's just so different, man. Like you can train as, even, even if you think about the last couple <clears throat> goes that we had where we yeah. were doing the competition training, either with Darwin or with Julian, yeah, where we're like doing the kind of rounds for time where one person's in the middle and you're always rotating. It's pretty exactly. intense yeah. rounds, yeah. like yeah. you're going hard. <laughs> Nowhere close to a competition. It's just, yeah. there's this other yeah. gear that you get into. And I always yeah. feel like when you come back from competing, it's, it's like the, the whole, it's like you're coming out of warps, you know, and the star Wars are like, and all the stars come yeah. back. That's yeah. like what it's like. You just, everything yeah. slows down. And then there's also, I've noticed when you can, when you start to compete more, you start to notice how much of a difference there is between competition and training yeah. and how important smart training is so that you can compete. Yeah. And it takes a little bit of the mustard off the training sessions in a way. Mm -hmm. And I notice it most when you get someone who's a drop in who like doesn't train there. Yeah. Cause there's always a little bit of like ego that goes into it. Yeah. It's a little bit. And they kind of, they want to turn it on. And you're like, all right, you kind of always rise to the occasion just because it's natural to do that. But it, yeah. it changes how it makes you so much better. Yeah. So quickly. I feel like a competition's like three months of training packed into like a little weekend. What yeah. were your takeaways from the tournament here in Del Mar? Yeah. So first of all, it's such a great event for it to be my first event. Like what a well run event and everything and such great competitors. But, you know, I lost both the matches and now I keep like, you know, it's crazy because I heard I actually on your podcast, I heard Dave talking about how like sometimes he'll go back and review his like old tapes sometimes. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, I'm like, maybe I should go look at it again now, now that it's been like a month. And, you know, I'm sitting there like, okay, in this position, I should have done this. Or right. in this position, that technique didn't work, right? So then, like, after seeing that, then I go back to training and I'm like, hey, like, in this, I'm in the same position. Now I know how to correct this. Like, here we go. We're learning. But directly after the competition, I just remember Steve came up to me and he's like, hey, how'd it go? And I'm like, I went over to And then, you know, he's like, oh, like, you know, don't let this stop you. I'm like, Steve, like. I'm ready for the next one. Like sign yeah. me for the next one today. Like that's, I'm ready to go. Like, you know, I'll always have the mentality of like, I just need to keep going. Eventually I'll reach to where I need to be at to like be a really good competitor. And I'm looking forward to next year and competing again. So do you ever have any desires to do anything competitive in the striking world? You know, it, it, yeah, it's funny. So my cousin does a lot of Muay Thai and we're always talking about like, man, we should sign up for one of these like amateur Muay Thai fights and just try to see what's going on. You know, but then uh, my parents, of course, are very averse to hurting the de the goods up here. <laughs> that Dude, that's, so far, so. <laughs> that's my thing. Like, so yeah. when we, 
like when we train on on the Monday, I, I'm so stoked that you guys are coming to Mondays now yeah, because there's, it's just we need more bodies that are like we you know, can actually are older and can participate. Yeah, I and <laughs> I was like, sometimes I love the the pace of the Monday is great because it's yeah. you can spice it up a little bit, but Bob like purposely keeps things pretty chill. Like he yeah, doesn't want people teeing off on each other. Whereas, dude, go on a Saturday. Saturday is like. That is a whole different beach. Yeah, you're fighting on Saturday. You're yeah. not. That's not like yeah. technical sparring. You're fighting. So you're yeah. you're fighting. Steve's going to make you do rounds. He's going to make you do MMA. He's going to make you do yeah. takedowns. If you get taken down, he's not going to stand <laughs> you back up. So it's like yeah. you got to mentally prepare for Saturday differently. Exactly. But one thing that I do, I battle with this back and forth, is like just getting rocked in the head is fucking bad for you. Dude, yeah. <laughs> like I, I love – I love striking. I really do. I, I, I love the yeah. art of it and the timing and the, like the movement. And I think the two together, jujitsu and striking, they complement each other so well because it's, it's the two elements, it's the standing and it's the ground and it's great. Exactly. But I'm like, I don't, this is, it's so lame, but I'm like, I don't want to be 60 and have gotten just like my head teed off, you know, yeah, you know 120,000 yeah. times in these sessions and then not <laughs> be able to like think or remember someone's name. It sounds so lame, but yeah, but you never know. We, again. we haven't, dude, we have not seen, and you'll know this as, as a UFC fan, we haven't seen yeah. a full generation of fighters die exactly. yet. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. crazy to think about, but like mm -hmm. you've seen Muhammad Ali exactly you know there's not no ufc you can go ufc one fighters unless barring like acute injury or accident they're yeah. still alive so exactly. they haven't gotten to that phase of their life where we're seeing what are the the brain effects of four ounce gloves granted exactly. i think because you can go to the ground i f i feel like mma is probably less damaging relative boxing. to boxing because yeah, boxing you'll go to the ground and they'll fucking stand you back up. And yeah. what, what fighter is going to go? No, I, I'm sorry. I can't. Yeah. yeah. They're holding their gloves. They're like, uh, you're barely alive. You're good. Right. Yeah. And the guy's like, yeah, exactly. yeah, put me in coach. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but with USC, you guys get teed up one, two times. And instead of 10 times, they grab a leg and they go to the ground. Exactly. Yeah. But that doesn't take out, dude, watch videos at ATT training. Those guys are going hard and there's a hundred of them and they're doing rounds and rounds and rounds. Yeah. So I'm insane. like, yeah. What do you, yeah. what do you think about, what do you think about that on you know, a personal from, level? Yeah, You're 10 years younger than me too. So yeah, yeah, of course. No, like even on a personal level and a science level, like, you know, like getting rocked in the head is going to affect you. So I, I think, but, but then it's also, you know, I have this, this, this like situation where it's like you have to learn how to defend yourself too and you you never really know like steve always says this you never really know who you are until you're in that situation and so i remember true. the the first saturday i was like you know like you know i'm pretty overweight but like you know i'm getting better and you know i'm like I, i'm not too gassed i usually have pretty good stamina when i do like any sport and man i just remember one minute into that first sparring session I am gassed. My my hands don't go up above my, my face anymore because like you, you just can't prepare for the amount of adrenaline that you get and like having that real world like this guy's smacking me in the face. Now he's getting on top of me. He's pinning me down, right? And he's like, you you never really know who you are until you get to that moment. And he's so right. Every time I go on a Saturday, I think about that every time. I'm like, I, I won't know who I am until I'm like, until Abe has me pinned to the ground and he's like <laughs> smacking me in the face, you know? So... <laughs> I know it's nuts how even even on the lighter days, like 
you you know you need to keep your hands up. Yeah. Right? Like you know yeah. you know that because if you drop your hands, you're gonna get punched in the face. Yeah. Yet, there's this down. it's like <laughs> there's just this fall off. Yeah. And you're like, you know, no matter how conditioned you are, it's it, it's really crazy. You can you can run, you can do jujitsu, you can yeah. jump rope, you can do all this shit. When you are standing across from someone and you're not sure when they're gonna punch you, that um I'd actually, I'd love to read an article about this from like a scientific journal. Like neurologically, yeah. that heightened state of anticipation, yeah, is so taxing, dude. It is. It's fight or flight. It's literally fight or flight in real time. Even when you trust your opponent, you know, even on like Monday nights, it's like, yeah, you get popped in the face, and it, then you're like, oh shit, am I gonna? Is that gonna happen again? So you don't again. want it to, <laughs> yeah. and so then you, then you start to change. All it, it takes one good connection, even if it's a light, just you walk into a jab, let's say. Yeah. They're not exactly. even throwing it that hard, but you just walk into it. Yeah. And you come Ooh. back, and then everything's different about that round. Now you don't exactly. want that to happen anymore. So you're not going to take risks. You're <laughs> exactly. And then, yeah, I mean, you put that in a real world situation. Some asshole on the beach is like, you know, <laughs> you know getting exactly. into it with you in the water or someone in the parking lot. Some guy's yeah. giving you shit about your park job, and you're you're trying not to make anything of it. And it happens like yeah i wish that i knew all of this stuff when i was in college man yeah <laughs> when you're yeah, just but, being a dumbass and like right yeah it's but so it's better to be prepared it's better to be prepared in those situations i think and you know the state of the world unfortunately is getting more and more violent every day at least like recently you know with like all the gun violence and everything going on and like people like in la exactly right you know my hometown is la and people just there was a time where like, there was a like someone's getting robbed every other day. And, you know, so when I think about those things, I'm like, it's better to be prepared and not have to, right? What does is, what is Steve always say? It's better to be like a, a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a, in a war yeah, or something like that. <laughs> That's <laughs> right? true. And, yeah, and it's yeah. so true, right? Like I'd rather be prepared and, and like, you know, hopefully nothing ever happens, right? But I'd rather be prepared if that situation arises and, you know, prepare. And, and then again, it's a lot of it is also like, you know, I'm training and it doesn't feel like training, you know? Yeah. I'm like striking the bag or whatever, but it's so fun. Like, I don't know. Like I have Dude. so much fun going to jujitsu and Muay Thai and like, it's just fun. It's not even like working out. It's a, it's a, it's a special place. I mean, I, yeah. I really feel, feel like that. I feel like the, the present, whether you, you meditate or you're religious or yeah. whatever anything is right. When you're there, and you're doing the actual thing. So when the lesson's over, the instruction's over, and it's yeah. tap gloves, ding, 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 and you're going, <laughs> or it's slap hands, ding, 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 and you're rolling. You're pulled into this very special place where you have to be there to experience it. You can't yeah. watch an MMA fight. You can't watch UFC and feel that presentness. I've yeah. done a lot of like crazy sports in my life. I grew up skiing. Yeah. Way out in the back country, right? We're all alone. You got to be really heightened and aware. And you are very present. But it is a lot different when <laughs> someone is attacking you through that process. Yeah. And yeah. so what it does is it just whoosh, eliminates all the shit in your life, all the problems you're yeah. thinking about, the work stress, the this. Like that hour and a half that you get to be at training is something yeah. super special. Yeah. It's the know? best. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Alex, you are a warrior. 
and oh, you can you. stand in whatever gardens you want to, man. Like, uh, you <laughs> are uh, an inspiration and an awesome dude. I'm very grateful to be able to train with you. And I'm super, super stoked that you took time to do this, man. We'll have to do this again for sure. Oh, no, absolutely. I absolutely love this. It was so great to like finally tell my this is the first time I've told my story like in full detail, detail to anybody. So I, yeah. I thank you for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. And uh, yeah. I think you gave a lot of shout outs. So I almost feel like we need to put like a shout out list together to all the oh, nurses and yes, people. And <laughs> so, but um, no, I, I would like to link uh, in the show notes and we'll connect over this, but anything like make a wish foundations. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, like any of that kind of stuff that you feel like would be a good place. We'll put a link in the show notes. So if anyone's listening and they want to get involved or donate sure. their time, money, resources, anything like that. Uh, we'll put some research or some links for like cancer awareness or stuff like that in there too. So awesome. Perfect. Yeah. It takes check a, yourselves, it takes everybody. Village. Yeah. Check, awesome. Screen yourself, please. Screen it yourself. takes a village. It takes a village to raise a warrior. So <laughs> thank you, Alex. Um, thank you, Abe. I appreciate it, man. See you at training.